Once again, to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. You heard the intro song. It's an Oscar race checkpoint, and we haven't hit the 2022 Oscars yet, but this is actually kind of the first Oscar race checkpoint for the 2023 Oscars. Don't say we don't do anything for you, dear listener. I am your co-host, Mike One. This is co-host and just drunk off of watching everything from Sundance 2022, also Mike. Yeah, I watched a lot, but I didn't watch as much as some other people. What I did do is I filled myself to the brim. Like, I maxed myself out when I did have free time. So I did my Mm -hmm. best. And I will say that this was a much more fruitful, much less alcoholic endeavor (laughs) than last year. Like, last year, I just got upset. and This year, you're drunk on film consumption. Last year, you were just drunk. Last year, I just got drunk because I I bought a a couple of 30s. I was like, this fucking sucks. Most of it. Most of it sucks. And I actually, to the point where I missed some good movies that I watched later in the year, I was Mm -hmm. like, oh, I was nine beers deep. Uh, on my way to 14 and therefore like it, it was bad it was self-destructive maybe that's what just maybe that's what our Sundance review should be from now on instead of giving these great letter grade ratings you give them number of beer ratings and like the less is the better the less beer is the better it's right. like golf right exactly uh, like golf the golf of movie reviewers like, I was so now, into this I only had half a can of butt I, I, I drank a 30 rack for this movie yeah I'll be honest with you like so, when I hit like a two or a three movie skid I started pounding beers again during this stretch. So maybe I I am flawed. So this is like a first reactions bundle more than it's a movie review bundle episode. So let me be honest with some folks out there. So if I, if I hated your favorite movie or if I didn't love your favorite movie, which is more apt because a lot of these grades are, are positive. I would say. Yeah. I was going to, you are by, by two things. One, by and large, you are pretty positive across the board Two, for the kids out there who are listening. Uh, this is how you rationalize your demons when you get older. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I I guess I could blame, I could still blame it on the drink, but it's not as much as last year. Uh, I was much more responsible as last than last year. I've been working out every morning. I'm on week, I'm on month eight, but no, week eight. I wish I was on month eight. I'm on week eight of my new workout regis- re- uh, regimen with my uh, with also John there every morning. <laughs> we're waking our fat asses up, and they're less fat right now. So we're trying not. You to. You can tell how like this is already taking its toll on you because your tone is so much more. You're usually the politically correct one, and I'm yeah. the one that's like, and you're just so surly and ready to go. But we, I mean, look for good reason. You have a ton of Sundance movies under your belt. I didn't even count how many there were, but I think you had like 27 or close to 30 that you watched 30. just in the last couple of weeks. 30. Good God. Yeah. All right. So we're going to divide this up into we're going to be reviewing all Sundance 
Sundance 2022 offerings. We're going to divide them up into three sections, basically. There's going to be documentary features, uh, English-speaking movies, and then the international films uh, to cap this off with. We're going to do them for the purpose of reviewing them for your consumption, dear listener. Also with an eye towards next year's Oscars, if there's any that stick out. But we're going to try to, like, well, Mike is going to try to, and I'm going to play host. Mike's going to try to just frame these as best he can to tell you what these movies have in store, what they're about, and the effect they had on him and how he sees them. What's fun about this for me is not only learning about these movies, but I like when you come down to my level of cynicism, and you have some of that here, and I that 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 brings me joy in my heart that is dark and black and dead for years. If it's not great, I hate it. Right. No, I I I I do want to put that as the uh, as the caveat of this episode. Like we are Oscar pundits, and mm-hmm. I am observing a lot of Oscar pundits out there who do not watch 30 plus Sundance movies. And again, I've watched less than a lot of people, so I have Mm -hmm. no reason to complain as much as some other people, but this is a taxing endeavor. And I realize now that the older, wiser pundits out there, some of them do this the way I want to do this in the future. I want to hold back and I want like, I want to watch these movies later. And I have always said, I am envious, and it's true, I, I'm being sincere, I'm envious of your ability to, I, Mike, I couldn't get to Power of the Dog this year. <laughs> like, to, well, to last mind. night. Or, right, I, yeah. watched it, I watched it two nights ago, I, I, two nights but ago. I, could not, I could not possibly sit and watch 30 movies that I have little to no interest in going into in a row as you have, so I'm quite envious of you. You did a hell of a job, like you always do, right. and you have for the last couple of years well, here, so you should be proud of yourself. I, I have some some cinematic endurance. The problem is watching them at home five or six in a day. Again, it's a, it has to be watching a caveat. Watching five movies that's... I'm interested in in a day sounds terrible to me. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to do. I and, do it. and I'm not even writing about them. I'm just, you know, I'm writing things down in this doc where we just kind of throw out at the end of the day and just talk shit for an hour like we're about to do (laughs) like this is not like serious film criticism like some other people are doing so i'm just not you know i'm not gonna pat myself on the back as much as you're trying to pat i'll do it for you i do think there is reason for you to be to be uh, commended absolutely and you are doing a service here for the listeners and for myself and i'm going to tell you i will watch all these movies and we both know i'm lying to you and that's the agreement that we've had when we made this episode we both sold this terribly. I think this is actually going to be a good episode. We did a terrible job of selling it. But yeah, this is still infinitely more positive than either of us were in the pre-show, though. And that's what's important. So let's dive right in. Let's start with the documentaries field. And look, you have, in all seriousness and in sincerity, you've been going hard on documentaries features for the last two years now. I don't know why. I'm hoping the 2023 Oscars will reignite the fury because you seem to be complacent with the 2022 Oscars with Doc Feature. And again, in my cynical heart, I was hoping that as hard as you go and as much as you've thrown yourself into the Doc Feature category, you don't really have that emotional connection to any one movie that you have. In the, like we both have in right. the past with the Apollo 11s and the Won't You Be My Neighbors of the Worlds. I, I, I'm hoping you become emotionally attached to something in the 2023 doc feature field so I can become emotionally attached to it and we can both be surly and angry at the Academy together. You took in six documentary features. Before we get to your favorite, let's talk about the one that left Sundance with the U.S. Grand Jury Prize for Best Documentary, The Exiles. 
yeah, and I give B grades to to most of these. Uh, the Exiles is a strong grade for me, but uh, it, it's one of those it, it's it's one of those vegetable movies to an extent, and I'll explain why. Because on on the one half of it, it's a profile of Ox, Oscar nominated documentarian Christine Choi, who is this hard living, shit talking, badass journalist, you know, turned filmmaker that just speaks truth to power. And I could watch her li- her life, her living her life forever. Like I, I can watch one montage after another of Christine Choi, director of Who Killed Vincent Chin. You know, again, uh, she's she's awesome. Mm-hmm. But it, it it's also a history of a very serious subject, and that's the Tiananmen Square massacre of, from 1989, and more specifically, her mountain of documentary footage that she she shot of the exiles of that when they came over to New York when they went to London and when they were when they were fugitives from China so this is part history part profile and the profile doc works much better than the history doc because the history doc is like this real is is all this montage leading into them just kind of being shocked and traumatized and that's Mm. her footage is like buried for 30 years because it's it's this footage of all these shocked and traumatized, you know, heroes that are put to the sidelines. They pull the dock together, Mike, when we see a where are they now kind of last half hour. Oh, cool. And we get okay. to meet all of these heroes again in their in their elder years. And Christine Choi goes and, you know, she has all these lively conversations with them all these years later. I mean, picture her as like, the, she's like cr- part Cruella DeVille. And part like she she kind of looks like Corella Deville with the cigarette and the huh. and part the uh, the fashion fashionista from The Incredibles, <laughs> you know, with the little wow, <laughs> she's, that's something I've got to get my life to. <laughs> she's that personality, uh, just in a longer, skinnier body type, and I just I just I thought she's the most fascinating character in any of these documentaries. So it's kind of a bummer to kind of get slogged back into. You know these these was the human interest? Yeah, was like that's what I. You have a tough time kind of making it through more depressing content. So that's what I'm wondering. Did that affect your your watching of it? Is that why you thought it was more of a slog, or was it like just there was problems with the storytelling and the way it came together? It's there's a lull in the middle, and there's just no way around that. And I think they tried to incorporate too much of her footage because her footage is just of these press conferences, and it gets the human interest factor of it gets interesting when we kind of you know get to know a a few of the principal characters of these student leaders and again they tie it back in together at the end but it's it's just kind of it's a rough slog in the middle unfortunately so it's like high highs and low lows which is you know going to be a theme for this episode still yeah (laughs) with the content and the human interest aspect it's easy to see why that would end up winning the u.s uh, grand jury prize especially at a film festival such as sundance uh the exiles is the name of that one you also took in fire of love the princess second chance lucy and desi and navalny as far as doc features goes Fire of Love we've teased and previewed here previously, but that's a Nat Geo deck with an absolutely heartbreaking synopsis from IMDb. Intrepid scientists and lovers Katya and Maurice Croft died in a volcanic explosion doing the very thing that brought them together, unraveling the mysteries of volcanoes by capturing the most explosive imagery ever recorded. My God. Yeah, so this was my opening film of the festival. Opening night film. Welcome to Sundance. Yeah, and... I was really excited for it. I had a kind of a mini watch party with it. And 
it was inevitably heartbreaking. And it was like this Titanic thing, this Pompeii movie. You know what you're going in for. You know that you're, you're going in for this story, this tragedy. And there's only about a half hour of Dr. Evil quotes that I can get through to uh, satiate Christ. myself. To, 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 you know, to look at all these gorgeous visuals and not feel like I'm in the bowels of hell and all my deep-seated Christian, evangelical Christian upbringing of being afraid of those fire and brimstone stories mm -hmm. doesn't, you know, like, like uh, Jacob Marley's baggage drag yeah. him back into the abyss. Like, I cannot watch this movie and not just squirm on the couch in utter <laughs> dread because it's just nothing of liquid, you know, but liquid hot magma just bubbling and popping and then, and, and, you know, rivers of lava and then these two smiling French people are like, woohoo! <laughs> these thrill seekers, they're nuts. They're crazy. I spent most of the movie just yelling at them like I was a camp counselor back at Camp TP he just say, you know, when Pope Nacho there just yelling at the kids saying, get away from there. Stop doing that. This is what I'm doing. Most of this viewing. I'm like, why are they? Do why are they there? Just wait a little longer. Just I mean, in today's modern times of like, just fly a drone over the place. What are they doing? Right. So I, I have an issue, you know, and, and that's a me problem. I was going to say you're hiding it well, at least. At least I could uh, I could get past it for the sake of professionalism. You're right. Thank you. One of the most unique synopsises to one of the more intriguing ones I was able to read about for, like, not even a movie, but just anything anywhere. You have the summary of Second Chance that reads, A documentary chronicling the life of Richard Davis, the man who invented the concealable bulletproof vest, shooting himself 196 times in the course of his career to prove the effectiveness of his vest. I don't laugh to make fun. I laugh because that is preposterous. Uh, if you, it's it's one way to sell yeah. uh, a product. Yeah. I think uh, Ramin Barani, he's the Oscar-nominated uh, writer-director of last year's The White Tiger. He is making his first documentary feature with, uh, with Second Chance here. And the subject, like you said, Richard Davis, I mean, he's a prickly character. He's a dimensional character, to put it nicely. I mean, you have, you have quite the portrayal here where half the characters or half the talking heads in this are calling him a hero and half of them are calling him a straight up villain so you're huh. you, you as an audience member are trying to decide what is he and there's conflicting information look i think this is one of those too crazy to be true stories that typically get made into you know a big hollywood film where you got this uh character that you don't know if you should like him or hate him and you eventually just wind up just kind of doing both so I, I if you're in for one of those stories this is a very upbeat version of that and with all the questions it raises with today's you know hugely important topical issues I think some people rejected that tone or at least some of the critics that I've been reading about second chance so if it's not reverent enough or if, if it's not tactful enough i would say i understand the, those perspective or i i, I get I, I get why those perspectives are out there because the the subject matter is hugely huh. important i mean with gun violence and i mean the guy's making bulletproof vests right. for police officers so this is this is some serious stuff but i think they're trying to convey that he is uh as 
dimensional character as i started off saying as as anybody because he's 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 somebody's lying huh. somebody's lying during this documentary because there's and it's probably him so th- that's where we're at with second chance i give it like a b grade because it is very entertaining he is a filmmaker in the sense that he's making all the infomercials that he's you know shooting himself with the vest <laughs> on for and it's it's a it's a wacky kind of scenario with that and then there's also like this you know, Scarface version of excess eight nineteen nineties, excess nineteen eighties, excess where uh, the story gets that gets too crazy huh. to be true. Was not expecting that from that synopsis either. But all right, so we have the Exiles, Fire of Love, and Second Chance. Those are three docs. You're torn on. Our listeners are going to examine those for themselves. Uh, if you do get around to checking those out, dear listener, please do fill us back in on our social medias. Let us know what you thought of any of those. But all right, Mike. Those are not in your top three, and I'd like to hear from you now. Which docs are you ready to be portrayed by via documentary feature branch in 2023? <laughs> Give me your top three docs from Sundance. Let's start with your bronze medal winner. Yeah, the princess about Princess Diana. I was surprised to be invested in the princess as much as uh, I was because I just went down all the rabbit holes. Right. I just watched all the docu series. I just, you know, bought all the books and started listening to them and reading them about Princess Diana around the Kristen Stewart Spencer movie. Yeah, I thought you'd be Diana'd out by now. I'd be sick of it, right? Yeah. No, I I think this was a very unique slant to to retelling this story by Ed Perkins of the Netflix doc Tell Me Who I Am. I think he made one of the most intense documentaries I've seen in the last few years there. And here he just takes a unique like principled stance with the princess and that he only uses primary sources and archival footage to tell this for HBO. He refuses to give us talking heads. Like, there's no commentary. There's just people being interviewed by newscasts of the day, people being interviewed by documentary films of the day. They'll put that stuff in there, but he's not going to have any, you know, present day, you know, re- uh, hindsight, I-, I would say. So this is this is a fascinating collection of arch- archival footage. And again, I think HBO delights in this sort of thing. They-, they put out a lot of archival footage docs in the past. They do a great job with it. So this is right up there, Alan. And that's why you know it won't be looked at finally by the doc feature branch <laughs> because they hate archival footage docs. So that's good. Your silver medal winner, Michael, Lucy and Desi. Yeah, speaking of archival footage docs, <laughs> this is, again, uh, one of those and... This is this has the blessing and the cooperation of, you know, Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz's children. So oh, cool. Amy Poehler, Amy Poehler is the director here, of course, of Saturday Night Live fame, Parks and Rec fame, her and Tina Fey, Golden Globes fame. Amy Poehler has lived a lot of this, you know, entertainer's life and lifestyle. And she's been the comedian and she understands this and she balances this documentary much better than any of the critics are saying, in my opinion. Now, this was one of the few watch parties I had and I, I had my parents there. I had some uh, my brothers there. We watched it as a family on a, what I thought was a Sunday night. And Lucy and Desi was a huge hit. It was a huge hit with the family. Wow. And I thought there's there's plenty of comedy. There's plenty of drama and intrigue you know, about their lives. And it kind of fills in a lot of the storyline gaps of being the Ricardos, the Aaron Sorkin movie that we're going to talk about quite a bit. So no surprise that Amazon Studios swooped it up. So Lucy and Desi is going to be on the same, 
you know, streaming service there as being the Ricardo. So I, I recommend this highly. I, I, both of these docs are, are very well made, and I was I was really pumping the fist in the air for Amy Poehler. B-plus all day, 88, high grade for me. Extremely high marks and high regard, and yet that still wasn't your gold medal winner or your best grade. That wasn't the best doc you saw at Sundance because the best doc of the entire festival was, for you, Navalny. I knew none of this story. I don't pay attention to the news until it's in a documentary. Really, yeah. <laughs> we got to work on that. <laughs> I've got to do a better job. But this uh, this man is the opponent of Vladimir Putin uh, in, in Russia for, for the longest time throughout the, the 20 teens. And uh, he is poisoned. That's the premise of the documentary. Mm. And who poisoned him? They go down like the investigative rabbit hole in this documentary proving who was behind that attempted murder. Huh. This guy is one of the more charismatic people you can, you know, put a camera on. He's got a show on YouTube or he had a show on YouTube with, you know, hundreds of millions of viewers or, or something ridiculous like that. The social media king of the world and if anyone's going to, you know, change change the government in in such a place, he might HBO Max, CNN, they're behind this documentary. So you got to think there's a political slant. They try to form some dimensions there. That's probably my only... Is it like a whodunit? Do they come to like a uh, actual finger point? Yeah, there's a whodunit segment to it. But obviously this movie is slanted <laughs> politically. And well. I'm, I'm not saying I disagree with it. I agree with... I agree with... I'm not for Putin. Sorry. And uh, I'm... I'm, I'm for this man now he has some dimensions to himself and his political career that i don't think i i got answered in this mm -hmm. like they do it as in terms of exposition and his answer to the question was very sly and the fact that everybody questions me like this so we'll watch something else i've answered this a hundred times still the movie really works it's it's intense it's funny there's there's just it drips with dramatic irony. And then there's like these chilling power plays and plot twists that obviously happened in real life that are still happening in real life that I never thought possible. And I'm still puzzled by to this day, alliteration. I can't, why am I using so many <laughs> P words, but here I am. Uh, I, I just, I'm, I was in awe of this documentary. This was one of those that I think if everything checks out and it doesn't get a backlash from being bullshit, mm -hmm. Because that's what you don't know. I, and I heard some wise uh, film critics talk about this. I believe it was Ant Thompson and Eric Cohn from uh, IndieWire Screen Talk. Because he was saying, like, I, I steer away from the too many docs at these festivals because you really want that vetting process to happen beyond you because you can't do it yourself. Good point. Me, I was not watching this many documentaries because I knew I was going to you know, go in for how many documentary film festivals in the spring and the summer. I didn't know there was so many documentary film festivals. Now that I know, <laughs> I, I slanted. I only watched like six or seven at this festival because I knew you know, I'm, I'm going to have more chances, I think, 
to watch these. But Navalny, yeah, this was one of the better docs of the last few years, hands down. B plus 89, it might be an A minus 90. I'm just like hesitant to love it as much as I probably do. So this was this was that good. Oh, jeez. High marks from you. All right, so Navalny, the best doc of the Sundance from what you saw anyway. Let's transition into the feature films. You saw a total of 19 of those, or at least 19 that were in the English language. Let's dive into some of those first. And once again, we'll start by getting the formalities out of the way. The U.S. Jury Prize for the dramatic section went to a film called Nanny. Michael, you watched it. Did you feel like you were being cared for by a responsible friend of your family's during it while your, th- while your parents were out to eat dinner? <laughs> no. Oh. Because it's a horror thriller that really made me filled with anxiety and, and righteously so. I mean, they, they did it. We obviously they didn't did have similar job. nannies growing up. Oh, yeah. Thankfully, I did not. But but some of the best cinematography of the festival, uh, it's Nanny, then Klondike, then Living, I would say, best cinematographers of Sundance. A great performance, too, by Anna Jopp, uh, hopefully a star-making one. And there's just tremendous set design, costumes, VFX, really So you could see why this won the jury prize. The filmmaking is Mm top-notch. Now... It's a horror thriller, but it's more like a horror drama. It's re- it's really a drama, and that's where it works, I would say. When it kind of gets into the horror genre piece, scenes and, and kind of obligatory moves of, of a typical horror, of an elevated horror movie, like maybe The Babadook to get out to the nighthouse, it doesn't quite work for me on that level. Now... Does that matter? Can it just be its own thing? As, am, am I applying, you know expectations of other films of other you know categorizations that probably shouldn't be and this is more unique uh, maybe that's where i'm at with it but i think i think nanny struggles a little bit in the middle there's some pacing issues but these are nitpicks i mean this movie's a strong grade b all day for me uh i think uh, act three you know it, it packs a wallop act two maybe lags act three maybe rushed I, I wanted a slower curtain maybe i'd say that uh as as like my one hardcore argument in terms of you know screenwriting structure perhaps but the highs are very high with nanny and I, i'm not surprised that this one uh, the awards here. Nikiatsu uh, Jusu, she has a world of talent. Forgive me if I'm mispronouncing her name, but I, I just, I, I think she's going to be someone to watch going forward. So it's really cool that uh, a, a newer filmmaker wins an award mm. like this putting her on the map so nanny is uh high and uh, something that people should check out all the critics seem to agree but what fun is it agreeing with the critics all the time anyway do you have something that you think the critics may be wrong about and you are actually higher on it than most and that's with watcher critics slam this movie like there's nothing good about this they they nailed it now i have a theory on why it might have got some you know worse press than it wanted because i don't think critics were like i was just slated to watch this at night mm-hmm. before i went to bed because i knew this was going to be like a horror movie it's like a midnight madness kind of thing even though i don't think it was part of that it was part of the u.s dramatic section but i was like all right this fits the late night watching right. crowd and i'm gonna watch it with the late night watching crowd but i don't think this was available made available to other critics before its premiere in that way so were people like upset that this was the seventh film of the day for them and they're kind of worn out and it's a little predictable on the one hand, but I would say Watcher is suspenseful because you you kind of know where it's going 
And I think that's okay because it works as this stalker thriller for me. Like, Make a Monroe of It Follows, she's terrific in this movie and she gets validated in this movie i just had this as a b86 because i thought it worked as a character piece i thought it worked as a thriller and just like think lost in translation but instead of like a a goofy bill murray you get this creepy stalker killer that she's got to fight what's what's wrong with that like what does he whisper in her ear at the end of the movie then it's a yeah i don't know it's the forever mystery you (laughs) <laughs> I, maybe that's the uh, Sofia Coppola original. Right. No, I, I think it's a stupid joke. But Watcher's like a satisfying story that I think critics may have been bummed out about because they weren't fresh. Now, I watched, this was my second movie of that night. I had not taken time off yet. So this was just, you know, I watched, uh, I forget you what were I watched fresh. first. Oh, I watched Master and I watched Watch, Watcher. And I was fresh. I was fresh for both. I'm happy to hear that the horror thriller genre is getting paid respect. And it, obviously, if there is something that usually gets beat up by the uh, maybe not critics so much as like the Academy contingent or people who like to see the, the drama and everything, it's going to be horror that gets kind of the, the short end of the stick there. So I'm, I'm glad that you're kind of giving this refreshing look for things in this genre or in those genres at least. But how about a movie that you feel is a no doubt Oscars player, if not a guaranteed Oscars nom, then something that should at least be in the conversation. Yeah, 892 should be there because John Boyega is that good in it. Good. And John Boyega finally gets that showcase piece. This is uh, similar to Dog Day Afternoon in the sense that you have a complicated situation revolving uh, around a robbery and a hostage uh, predicament. And Nicole Bahari, Michael Kenneth Williams, they do a terrific job. Great cast, yeah. Uh, the late, yeah, the, in their own right as supporting characters, the late, great MKW mm-hmm. there. So, like, Boyega just back and forth off of these, you know, these great actors. He's doing a tremendous job. And I, he, t- he makes choices that aren't typical to the genre like you you figure you remember al pacino yelling and screaming and 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 yelling and screaming attica and dog day doesn't ring a bell for me to be yeah (laughs) you you remember a certain type of quote-unquote bank robber in other movies and he plays very against type for most of this film which it's just a powder keg kind of performance to put a film critics cliche on it but i i think i think at the very least this is indie spirit critics level but he's far and away the the high the highest awards worthy aspect of this movie well i think yes okay uh, unfortunately i think the film has to go a certain way because the truth of the true story Mm -hmm. went a certain way and is that always cinematic no and I, i appreciate that they honored the scenario and they honored the real life uh situation so Abby Damaris Corbin, she has a deft touch. If this was a, you know, a Spike Lee, you know, if this was a film that that went Hollywood, you know, it would have been like, uh, what was that Spike Lee movie with the Clive Owen, the Inside Man? It would go t- towards that kind of level, mm. and it didn't. It didn't go that level. It didn't go to the level of the town. It didn't go, you know, to to the big you know, spectacle. Michael Bay didn't get a pass at the script is what you're saying. 
No, and right. and and thankfully so. Right. So sh- this is a filmmaker that you got to give her a lot of credit, and the drama really. Oh, Michael works Bay and- taking a stray shot for no reason for me right there. What a dick move on my part. Sorry, Michael. <laughs> oh, don't be sorry. <laughs> do not. Do never be sorry for that again. This is a this is an Oscars podcast, and I will not. <laughs> I will not take any Michael Bay praise whatsoever anywhere. By the way, ever. let me just get on the record. And I tweeted this last night. I cannot wait to see Ambulance. That Jake Gyllenhaal movie that Michael, I can't wait. Yeah, but you 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 should wait and never see it. Is <laughs> what you should have learned by now. And this 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 dripping of irony just from soiling you, John Boyega's Oscar worthy performance. <laughs> yeah, you should watch ten art films before you see that movie, and only then will you uh, be allowed, at least in my mind, to watch that because I'm getting a little salty at the fact that you. You you refuse to watch certain movies. You do. I just can't. But it's I can't. Like I don't. No 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 I don't no. Have it in me. There's can't no. There's can't and then there's won't. Well, I and I will it's watch. It's becoming it's becoming a hang up at this point. So I'm getting afraid. I will watch 892 uh, when I get my hands. Mike on it. Mike and Razzie is, is going to be uh, the 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 pivot at some point. Jesus. All right, so the 892, or 892, excuse me, has Oscars legs, at least on the back of John Boyega. You had another one that you thought should have Oscars buzz, even though it never in a million year will be recognized as such by the Academy, and it's a Rebecca Hall movie, so rightfully so. Yeah, so I could stop being the stern, awkward... uh <laughs> The finger wagging jerk to you, and I could we could come together and Roman handshake on this mm-hmm. one because we both love Rebecca Hall. We both love Rebecca Hall in a weird ass, twisted thriller horror, yeah. whatever this is. I'm excited, for and this I one. so I think you should see this one. This is this is bizarre, but I, I think it works somehow. So Rebecca Hall is dealing with the return of a sociopath ex lover in Tim Roth. And this turns into just like a collision that you never want to see, but you can't look away from. B plus 87 all day. The ending probably disqualifies it from being an Oscars movie, Mm. which is a statement that I think you will embrace and want to see it all the more for. Uh, I think true thrill seekers. I am totally ready to be hurt by her again. Absolutely. I I can't wait for that movie. She wrecks you again. And, and, And it's actually a ratcheted up emotional performance, I would say, from Rebecca Hall. After the Nighthouse, which was fairly subdued for her, at least it was kind of, you know, again, against type of a movie like that, of the Scream Queen. It was more psychological thriller than Scream Queen, right, for, mm-hmm. for the Nighthouse. Yeah, absolutely. So this is, this, is, this is a twisted thriller and just elusive characters, I would say, which is half the fun, but it's sick fun from The Resurrection. So I, I'm a big fan. B-plus, 88, 87, high grade. All right, and they can't all be Oscar bait movies that you saw, though, and uh, maybe not as bad as last year's Sundance Offering, but you were let down again this year by a couple films, a couple titles, and they were even some that we previewed here previously here on MMO, just to run down a list of them. Emergency, Master, Duel, After Yang, and Alice all weren't up to snuff for you, and just to prove that it's not all about Razzie movies for me, there's there's a lot of these that I just don't have interest in, quite frankly, and you uh, putting a nail in their coffin, uh, I, I think, is going to help me get over ever watching them anyway, but all right. <laughs> Of this You're list welcome. for you, <laughs> which of those was the biggest letdown, do you think, going in? 
Uh, I think it was after Yang. Yeah. yeah. So again, I, I gave these movies positive grades. So it's like a tepid thumbs up. But I expected great, and I got solid. I would say for for most of them, a couple of them, like Duel and Alice, just did not work for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll be quite frank about it. I think the script for Alice was was poorly written. The dialogue didn't work at all. Even though a lot of truth bombs in that, it's like Antebellum. The same thing, except set uh, set in the seventies, hmm. which was a movie like we were both higher on. Didn't we both? Anyway, we were excited I, for it. A little let down by. I it, was higher yeah. on. I was higher on it than I thought. Like it wasn't as bad as the critics came right, down. Right, right. You were yeah higher than yeah. That's true. That is Antebellum, true. but yeah. Alice is the same exact setup. I think the performances were kind of, you know, just left out in the cold a bit, which is. A problem with the composition and the directors you got to protect your actors if they're going to 11 you cannot just leave them in a scene with poorly written dialogue just like spitting all over themselves it's just you can't do that and then this movie it's it just the height of overacting unfortunately so that's where i'm at with alice it's my honest take uh in terms of duel i think Duel wanted to be like this Hal Hartley, David Lynch movie where everybody delivers lines of dialogue in the exact same way. Mm. It's like this deadpan and it's just so aggravating at the end of it all. Like where Aaron Paul is like the last person you'd expect to deliver lines this way. Hmm. And Karen Gillan, yeah, she's the robot Nebula in Guardians of the Galaxy. So maybe she can hang with like the, you know, constant just, deadpan but i I just it didn't work for me and then the story's kind of a letdown because it's built up with this high concept i don't know just three strikes you're out so duel was a major bummer unfortunately Uh, emergency master and after yang had some high highs to them so i i gave them like c plus b minus grades at the end of it all like emergency really funny for the first 15 minutes and then really impactful as a drama for the next 90 Tonal shift is a mess. Kerry Williams, though, still, I, I think he's a, a filmmaker to look out for. R.J. Kyler, really, really strong actor. He's a star in the making there. Same, I would say, for Regina Hall and Master. Like, her performance, ex, you know, next level. I, I did, For someone who was in the scary movies. Right, right, right. And she's been... Scary movie franchise. On to, to a, a horror movie like this. That's definitely going for the elevated horror. I just think the script fell behind it a little bit, and the horror scenes just didn't work. That's the problem. Like the drama, the drama of Master really works. Like all mm. the pro- college professor stuff, I'm, I'm eating that stuff up. Like that's perfectly executed. And then you got the horror scenes, and the dream sequences. I, I'm sorry, you and I are connoisseurs. Unfortunately, for my sake, because of what you've put me through in the horror <laughs> genre. No, we're connoisseurs <laughs> at this point of, of jump scare movies, of and this is going for that, and it doesn't just doesn't. Not land. that it's going for all the jump scares, but it doesn't land. Unfortunately, ah, it's so sad. A lot of it cliche. is sad to hear. Sad to hear yeah, because Regina Hall has been doing so much great work lately too in her career, and we want to see her just keep thriving and, and blossoming into this awesome A-lister. But all right, so you have this this list of kind of letdowns, and I, I, we can combine the next couple questions I have about them into to 
one because it's going to be the same movie for each answer mm-hmm. anyway. But I was going to ask, which of these can you see the critics of the Academy really taking a hold of most and kind of being that infuriating contender for you, even if just at a precursor or an indie <laughs> show? And as a follow-up, I was also going to ask, which of those movies would you want to trick me into seeing to ruin my day and my life? But you have the same answer for each of those, and it's after Yang. After Yang is a snooze. It's just too boring. And maybe this is a problem where it's my fifth film or sixth film of the day. I don't even think it was. I think it was my fourth of this particular day. I, I was relatively fresh. I spread out the, you know, the movies in that night, even though I was kind of tired out because I worked all day. But Jesus, you can't bore me to tears like this, Koganata. You didn't previously. Columbus yeah. was, yeah, it was a meditative kind of walk around Ohio there, but it. I thought it worked. I thought, I thought Columbus uh, with Haley Lou, Lou Richardson. It was just, wor- you know, there's a showcase for those actors, John Cho and her. Here, it's like you're wasting the best actors and Jodie Turner Smith and Haley Lou Richardson, and they gave like these strangely, or at least Haley Lou Richardson gave this deadpan performance. Like what? Why? She's the most expressive actress going. Hmm. She's a, a, a bundle of light and joy in most movies. Maybe trying uh, to Regina do that Hall. playing against type thing that you were, you know, trying to shock people into seeing stuff that uh, they're not used to seeing from her just in Atlanta. So you're just stuck with this boring ass episode of Black Mirror. This 90 Oof. minutes of just Colin Farrell making tea <laughs> and then making more tea. <laughs> And then watching the memories of his robot butler, babysitter, (laughs) friend, humanoid. But yet you could see that one having some kind of success at like the indie spirit level or something. People are going nuts for After Yang. They love it. These critics are like, I cried so much. I don't understand it. I like tea, but I don't like robots that much. I don't. Maybe I haven't met a robot that I loved as much as I love tea. Maybe that's where I'm at. I only love half the things of this movie that are supposed to be so wonderful and beautiful. Uh, like uh, the sci-fi is cool. The futuristic architecture is great because you know when when Koganata makes a movie, he makes contemporary architecture architecture look futuristic and just eye-poppingly great. So I, I don't know. I just I don't get why people love this movie as much as they do. Maybe I got to rewatch it. Maybe you have to rewatch it with me. That's uh, what I think should happen. No. No. <laughs> Pass. <laughs> I tried to trick you into the, even still. All right. You said the question was which one of those would you trick me into watching to ruin my life? You answered honestly. Why would no? <laughs> but if I this is if I was uh, more manipulative and I got you to just out of out of guilt trip to to watch after that, Yang but. like even on the premise it was something that I was like oh boy. <laughs> Not, well, it commits the cardinal sin for you of being boring. Yeah, that's not it. I can't. There's enough of that you going can, around. You can't do that. And it's really hard to do that at home. Yes. So maybe it's maybe it's, this is a victim of the at-home watch, and it's easier to get immersed into the detail of the film in a, a, a theater mm. in terms of actor, after Yang. So I'll leave that possibility open. I don't see you go- buying a ticket at the movie theaters no, after this. Review. I will not be at opening day of After Yang. Uh, 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 ambulance, yes. After Yang, no. Uh. <laughs> failing, I'm failing you, and I'm failing our audience. Just, I, I imagine emergency of the of the, you know still decent grades, even though you were down on a couple of these films. But of the ones you were down on, I imagine emergency is the one you spoke most glowingly about. You think that has the most potential, at least. 
Yeah, it executes what it wants to do uh, okay. in the first act and then the second and third acts uh, i thought carrie williams it just got a lot of storytelling talent unfortunately like the acts don't blend together mm. and act two is like this you know this 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 dramedy i would say and then act one is a comedy act two is a dramedy and act three is this this hardcore drama that's so seriously unfunny for good reason that I don't know how you come back for that and re, re you know recontextualize everything else. So gotcha. that's the thing. There's three really good movies in there, and I, I want to see the next movie he makes. I just hope he he balances out the tones. All right. Well, that makes sense. I mean, that's a is a positive and hopeful review for at least the future, and it's still a reason to go check out Emergency when you get your hands on it. Anyway, uh, as far as other polarizing titles, at least for you, Mike, there's one reason or another that you kind of were going one way, could have gone the other way, whether because of content or principle or just personal bias that. You brought in let's go through these couple titles or a few titles here let's start with a movie that you personally disagree with in terms of messaging but you seem to at least see the merits of and it's a high quality film i from what you've at least said or can you correct this tell me about god's country i disagree with the plot because okay. it's contrived god's country gotcha. has this exposition dump where it's kind of like cheating in the middle of the movie like the scenes of god's country Thandie Newton, college professor who lives in the middle of nowhere outside the college, up in the mountains. She's grieving the loss of, of a family member. She's, you know, a good doggy mommy, but she's on this property where these two hunters that are problems in the community insist that uh, they're, you know, parking their car at and using her land to hunt deer, which she's just against. Mm. And she gets into like this conflict with these hunters bringing in the cops and that's as far as i'll go in the plot line that i think works to a point and the scenes are really good through i would say like the first 90 minutes the last half hour it's just it goes too far in my opinion so i just disagreed hmm. with the story now the egg on my face if this turned out to be a true story but i, I from everything i've read i don't think it is so god's country really good performances thandy newton i, I can't i can't going on it though unfortunately high merits but problems with the uh the closing there how about the uh i dubbed this the never rarely sometimes always award for best movie which may be awards worthy despite the fact that some across the political aisle will automatically disqualify it based on its content alone that would seem to go to call jane right yeah starring elizabeth banks sigourney weaver and an origin story about the janes which was also a documentary at the festival that i want to see down the line but the the james provided a, a network uh, of safe abortions in the 1960s and elizabeth banks became a major player her character became a major player in this along with sigourney weaver's character so this is high level polished filmmaking from phyllis Nagy. she's a screenwriter of carol so you know she's got the chops sure. yeah and uh good performances here a ton of narrative momentum it was an easy watch which is what kind of the academy likes to you know, tip their hat to in many a cases. So this might actually be the sneaky Oscar contender of the group. B eighty six. I thought that it kind of falters with some strange storytelling towards the end in terms of like being this masterpiece level film. Uh, all that being said, though, it works. It it, mm. it still works, and you get the points that uh, Nagy's trying to make. It it comes back around to modern times and where we're at. And I, I do think Call Jane is, is something that may play on the Academy down the line, or at least I hope so. 
Maybe we should just convince the closet conservatives in the Academy to not watch it and just tell them it's a documentary about Jane Fonda again. Not that that would rub them the right way with Jane Fonda's activist history and liberal leanings, but still, it's probably got a better chance of survival and recognition if they don't actually watch it. You know what I mean? I probably know what you mean, and <laughs> I I don't know if reverse psychology is the best way to deal with closet conservatives because it hasn't worked yet. The highest degree of difficulty is probably automatically always going to go to anyone who feels they need to remake a Kurosawa film. But Kazuo Ishiguro gave it his best shot. Tell me about what you thought about living. Yeah, Oliver Hermanis directed uh, the script from uh, Ishiguro uh, off of Kurosawa's original Akira. So this, this has major pedigree coming in, and you get the 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 publicity and the hype about Bill Nye's subtle awards level performance going in and it lived up to my expectations. I wow. think living is going to be like this year's passing. So this is Sony Pictures uh, acquiring living so that that tells you kind of where and, and who's behind it and who can put an Oscars campaign behind living. So Passing is kind of on the fringe right now from Netflix. Can it break through? We're hoping so, at least for Ruth Nega at the end of the day. But it's it's one of those understated period pieces where it's just got artistry on another level. Like from the opening credit sequence and the train station sequences, I, I just think this movie's gonna this movie's gonna work on filmmakers, work on industry members, and you get the goods delivered of this Ebenezer Scrooge story as well. So that's just a very satisfying arc, which made the Kurosawa original work, work back in the day that, that works again. So, you know, props to Kurmanis, Bill Nye should get some attention, please. I mean, he's just been this beloved character actor for years. He's, you know, he was great in Emma as the, uh, as the father who had the, uh, you know, the germophobia in that Mm -hmm. movie. So he's just been a delight for the longest time. And this this movie made me want to be more British, but then also not understand how anybody could be this British. It's one of the more (laughs) British movies ever. So again, as a Fifi man who loves his period pieces, living's one of those I wish I actually showed, you know, also mom and and, and, and others at a watch party. I kind of watched it myself thinking it was just going to be one of those kind of vegetables movies. But no, this was a crowd pleaser. Very audacious undertaking too. I mean, talk about degree of difficulty taking a Kurosawa property and thinking that, oh, I can, I can westernize this up and have it still be something that can stand on its own. That's quite the accomplishment there. You're doing a great job of selling. I, there is a, a decent list that of, of movies I genuinely do like. Call Jane, I want to check out. Living, I now want to check Good. out. The the Stalker one, I want to check out. The Rebecca Hall one, I'm always going to want to check Watch out. Watcher so. Resurrection, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. absolutely. Learn All those right. names, people. That's if I do anything today, maybe you know, learn those names. Make make me list everything at the end too. By the way, because <laughs> I think no, it's important. It gives everybody like a yeah. Refresher. We're gonna recap the rundown of your. Uh, grades at the end of this but uh all right so we go from polarizing movies to some movies that challenged you in different ways whether through content or because of your ability to withstand grossness on screen uh we previewed one of these we haven't talked about the other one fresh and palm trees and power lines those are two separate movies the movie fresh the movie palm trees and power lines uh how gross was sebastian stan and fresh and was palm trees and power lines difficult in the same vein or was it more of a content issue or a message issue tell me about the difficulties with those two movies fresh is like a thriller and it's a horror movie that works on a meta level and it's also a sickly dark comedy at at, 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 at 
places, I would say. So that's tonally nothing like Palm Trees and Power Lines, which is a hardcore drama. Just the, the okay. heaviest of heavy dramas. Gotcha. So I, on that sense, Palm Trees and Power Lines is almost unwatchable to me. Like some of these scenes involving teenagers in peril and this one teenage protagonist in particular, like she is just living some of the more just uh, unthinkable situations out there. So I, I don't want to tell people what this is, these movies are about. So the premises are very... You know, they're very elusive. And I, I think if people knew what they were about, they would not watch them. Mm. <laughs> However, both are watchable. Palm Trees and Power Lines, it's, it's righteous. It's dropping truth bombs. This director, Jamie Dack, she's making her points. And the barriers that I have to get back past are are me problems, but they're also because I work with teens. And it's, just, it's, hard. it's a hard watch. It was a hard sit. Gotcha. Fresh is more in the vein of like a horror satire, like American Psycho. But it shows the grossness. Here's the thing about Fresh. There, there's a point where I just felt like my heart in the middle of my throat, and I was about <laughs> to shut it off. Like I was so I was, I was ready to shut it off. I'm like 20-something minutes in, and I, I don't think I can watch this. I'm about to text you. Uh <laughs> I can't do it anymore. I like I'm about to go grab a six pack. I don't know what to do. And I just told myself, all right, I, I literally put my coat on to go out and, and, and buy food or something. Mm-hmm. And I just sat down. All right, let me watch 10 more minutes, see where it's going to go. And it becomes this cat and mouse game. It becomes this like artistic showcase for director Mimi cave, who somehow keeps me not just interested, but riveted about huh. where this is going. It has, it's one of the more satisfying endings of the festival. So it was very yucky, and yet I'm very proud of myself for surviving fresh. <laughs> Daisy Edgar Jones, Sebastian Stan are both terrific in it. It's fucked up, but uh, I, I could recommend it. So Searchlight picked it up, by the way. So this is Disney that picked it up by the end of the day. So eventually it'll be on Hulu, I would say. Not Disney+, Plus, <laughs> but Hulu. <laughs> and you can watch them, the Sebastian Stan character and the Disney parade down Main Street in Disney World <laughs> sometime soon, I'm sure. All right, two movies you gave the exact same grade to. I'm going to ask you to get into my mind. I want you to pitch me one of these to watch, knowing how absurd and insane of a human being I am. Jesse Eisenberg's When You Finish Saving the World versus Benson and Moorhead, who are soon to be of Marvel Moon Knight fame, their film Something in the Dirt. All right, I'll pitch you both of them. First of all, When You Finish Saving the World is about cantankerous characters who you want to fight. But you kind (laughs) of like movies with characters that I would want to fight. Julianne Moore is an insufferable liberal, and we're both liberals, <laughs> but yes. you want to strangle the, the how liberal she is at times. She's such an asshole, her character. Okay. Her character is the height of liberal asshole, and Finn Wolfhard's not far flung from the tree as her son, <laughs> who's on YouTube or TikTok or whatever, being this singer-songwriter Bob Dylan from hell, from my <laughs> nightmares. <laughs> So he's this self-obsessed artist who's just this fame monger trying to, you know, 
navigate his just regular high school life and these girls that he likes and 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 Julianne Moore is like this mother who's just not giving him any attention and just like letting him and hanging him out to dry in some places where because she's mad at him she's mad at the person he's becoming and the high school kid he's becoming she's mad at his internet fame and Jesse Eisenberg purposely tells the story about these vexing vexing people who I get so mad at and you might enjoy I think because it's one of those so if you're in the right mood uh, when you finish saving the world it could be like this healthy meta drama commentary on liberal bubbles I would say interesting okay so I want to fight Julianne Moore is what you're is what I just you've heard. wanted to fight her in the past <laughs> You want to fight her and again, she's great playing characters that you want to fight. So, what about something in the dirt? What can you tell me about that? All right. So this was one of the better buddy movies. And sh- as shot in quarantine movies go, it's like one of the best one of those as well. Something mm-hmm. in the dirt is about a poltergeist or of some kind of phenomena in this apartment complex where these two neighbors become best friends and kind of documenting it. So it's a movie about documentary filmmaking. It's a movie about guys who are addicted to listening to podcasts. And it's a movie about going down rabbit holes that are both like so dense with science and mathematics that it's kind of funny how they're trying to (laughs) convince each other that what is the real truth behind this phenomena. So (laughs) it, the, I like these guys. These are good filmmakers uh, from the Endless. They're they're gonna do the Moon Knight uh, on Disney Plus. So Dis, you know, the Marvel, the MCU swooped them up. So there's a lot of charm to this, and it's this bittersweet friendship story that works at the end of the day, perhaps more than the weird science. See, you're playing a dangerous game right now because I don't even real- know if you realize you do. I'm being very wary that I know you didn't enjoy all of these movies as much as you're talking about, but you're talking about them so glowingly and you are well, you being... You told me to pitch them. Yeah, you're, you're being intriguing towards them and I'm like, oh, I want to check that out, but I'm like, wait a minute. Is he doing this so I do check it out and he makes my life hell? <laughs> no, I like the movie. As a, I gave it a B-. minus. You might like... Here's the thing. Like, you enjoy movies that I gave B-minuses as... B pluses this past true. year. That's true. So these might be, you know, that's the thing about a film festival. Like everybody's digging for treasure. You're watching 30 movies, hoping to find a few great ones. Right. That is the task I would say. And and I did find a few really, really good ones. Did I find great ones at this festival? I don't know. Like there's still, eh, there's still a few coming that might be on the level that we're getting. Well, there, but yeah, I mean, that's like, like we can end the English speaking section of the film that you gave one of the highest grades to. Film Twitter gave one of the highest grades to. I mean, talk about a great one and, and one that got the most reverence that I saw. Yeah. I didn't see a single Sundance film talked about more glowingly than Cha-Cha Real Smooth, which is an amazing title we've talked about, but I did not expect it to be the hit of Sundance that it turns out to be, and you are in that crowd as well. You you really like Cha-Cha Real Smooth. This was one of the few watch parties, brother, father, both watched this with me and it was a huge hit in the room cha-cha real smooth dakota johnson cooper rafe even more polished than his debut which won the audience award at south by southwest two years ago uh in shithouse which i think is on Mm -hmm. vod right now and you guys can watch that as well so this this guy's a young filmmaker i think he's only 24 which should make us both extremely jealous of him how dare he he's this good how dare he but my had an existential crisis like a fucking adult cooper Please, no, but he's handling them so healthy and so maturely 
on the screen right here because this is like this romantic dramedy that is showing how well-balanced a person he probably actually is in real life, even though his characters are anything but because it's dealing with post-college malaise and, you know, all those fancy ways of putting it. But in this movie, it's really just a fun, upbeat, fast-moving bar mitzvah DJ. So what is the pre- – like, that's all I know about it. What is – I know Dakota Johnson's in it. Does she, is she of, a main character? He's out of college. <laughs> and he just, like, gets drunk and goes – off on the dance floor at one of these bar mitzvahs and he tells his little brother he's like i think i gotta be the party starter <laughs> like this bar mitzvah's dead and he just acts like a buffoon and and the mothers at the bar mitzvah they're like we want to hire you to you know be the dj for our bar mitzvah <laughs> and it, he it becomes his side job and dakota johnson is one of the mothers that that it has to show up at this you know circle of bar mitzvahs because they all have kids the same <laughs> right, age so right. just one bar mitzvah after another and some of them go hilariously dark and how drunk he gets and he does not do a good job so it's it's really fun and there's just you know so it's like if the trouble. wedding singer was just a total alcoholic there's a lot yeah think about the way we were in college and think about how we had to go on the land right. or on the what what do they, what do they call that on the on the on the Fine. Guided by the wrong head. No, when you're getting off the wagon on the wa- you fall off the wagon. Yeah, the, mm. he's he's like he's got to get back on the wagon. Nah. Don't it? I, yeah, I mean, I want to see it. I, I have no idea what it's about. <laughs> you did not. Well, there's a love triangle. Like he cries too many times, so that's like the like if he didn't cry this many times, like Jim Cummings and him got to realize. I love you both as filmmakers, Cooper, Jim. Let me let me talk to you both right now. <laughs> Stop crying seven times in in your movies. You, we get it. You can pull it off. You're great. You're great actors. I, you're showcasing yourself, and you're directing the thing, and you're writing it. Stop crying seven times, four times. I'll I'll buy. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. So that's my my one big quabble or quibble. Mm-hmm. Don't cry as much, but cha cha real smooth. That that that's a that's an audience award winner if I ever saw one. So I've, I've, of course I've hyped this up way too much for you to ever enjoy it. But uh, it will come on Apple TV Plus, which they, they've been scooping up these Sundance crowd pleasers like Coda in that respect. So you know th- this is another one that fits their brand perfectly. Like this is gonna. The audiences are going to be happy to watch this movie on Apple TV+. Plus. All right, through the magic of technology that keeps failing, we're just going to keep going on here. Another rough edit for us. I apologize to you guys. Uh, in the interim, Mike will now perform the song Cha-Cha Real Smooth from memory. So, Mike, if you... Now, all right. So, we wrapped up Cha-Cha Real Smooth, it being one of the highlights of the festival. Let's move on and start to wrap up. Uh, hopefully not against our will because of technology, but because it's what we want to do. Let's talk about the international feature section uh, here real quick at the end of this episode, Mike. Now I had visions again of doing the bronze, silver, gold medal shtick like we did for doc features with the international selections, considering you watched four films and I thought it would fit nicely. And and that Mm. wasn't to be, that wouldn't happen because it seems like if there was one section of 2022 Sundance that did make you return to the bottle, much like 2021's festival did, it may have been the international feature section. So let's kind of take these in whole. You Won't Be Alone, Klondike, and Utama. You weren't particularly a fan of these for various reasons. So instead of doing the Olympic medal route, let's go the Wizard of Oz route here. If you could only grant one thing to each of these titles, which would it be and what would it be? 
<laughs> uh, well, I granted myself with an imported beer uh, in Guinness. <laughs> that that did happen. I've been, okay. I've been on a if Guinness If I only kick. had a dark lager with a nice head. <laughs> uh, you won't be alone. I granted the Terrence Malick Award. And before, everybody's like, I said Terrence Malick too in my tweet. <laughs> Yeah, you did. That is but what that was they the sound first like. thing I wrote down. Like if uh-huh. everybody was naked and everybody was in a shapeshifter movie and it was directed by Terrence Malick, you won't be alone is what you got. And mm-hmm. I guess there's positives to that. Like, you know, Jane Campion's daughter's in this, Numi Rapace's in this, uh but as ancient Macedonian witch movies, mm-hmm. this was a first for me. <laughs> You saying Focus that features. just made me... I felt so much anger. <laughs> it was so boring. It was just... <laughs> I, if you, you can't make a more boring movie about a Macedonian witch, then you won't be alone. I'm sorry. I did not That's like until it. Mike, Mike, and Oscar makes their own Macedonian witch movie. That's coming in the spring of 2024. Klondike, Mike, what would you grant it? Uh, I would grant it one hell of an ending. So okay. if you... I guess... As endings of the festival go, this was one of the better ones. And if you can oh, get through the, if you can get through the monotonous, aggravating slog of its middle, I mean, it's it's just Jesus. it's a premise that's. I mean, dude, it's it's one of those movies. The Act One and Act Three are really good, and I just wish I just fast forwarded through Act Two. Like, I get it. So that's the gotcha. problem with Klondike. It, it probably works as a short film. Not much more promising stuff to say about Utama. What are you granting Utama? Uh, <laughs> so, like, it's so boring that I'm... An exasperated man. sigh. <laughs> oh, God. This one. I I literally drank five beers after this movie. Or during... At the end, mm. like halfway through this movie. It was like at noon. Mm. I'm mm. drinking. Uh, <laughs> and I really should admit that. But they're just herding llamas. And then one guy is dying, and uh, so it's lamb without the lamb kid. No, there's no lamb kid. A lamb kid would have saved this movie. <laughs> I'm sorry. I like I. The artistry is probably high level, and I wish it it wasn't like the third movie. Like I, I wake up very early to watch these movies, and I probably it was my third movie of the morning, or like twelve noon, one o'clock, and I just I. Ugh. Went to the well, fridge. <laughs> they can't all be winners, you know? I mean, we, we are looking at this from an Oscars lens, like you keep repeating. Well, anyway, it won but... the award for World Cinema, so I don't that's, get it. That's that's not an excuse. All right. Not all is lost, though. <laughs> you did genuinely enjoy Girl Picture, and I it did. actually was in the running for your highest graded movie of the entire festival, you fucking pervert tell us what girl picture has going for it <laughs> and is it there wasn't. some english well, like if you could make a comparison yeah tell me about the movie and then tell me what movie what english-speaking movie you could compare it to if any uh i think girl picture has the maturity of like and i can't it's not a american picture it's a it's an american tv show on netflix Big Mouth. Like, Big Mouth is a healthy viewing experience. Like, okay. kids who watch this movie are going to be bettered by that experience because it's a healthy way of looking at sex. It's a very mature way of looking at relationships. You have three girls uh, in this movie, and and they each have this, like, odyssey of sex experiences that go wrong without 
us seeing any nudity whatsoever. Zero. There's zero nudity. So I, I pitched this like, all right, I got to watch the, the Swedish porn movie now. It was right. nothing like that. This is just a very healthy look at ro- uh, romance at that, at that age. It, it harkens back to our former lives back when we were, you know, whenever we were getting some back in Hip that day. Hip and swinging. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this... This was a great movie, and there's like these emotional scenes that just pack wallops. Like there's a mother-daughter scene where the mo- mother and the daughter they hug, broke my heart. I mean, there's four hugging scenes, and usually that doesn't work on me. Like you just end the scene in the hug. No, right. there's four epic movie hugs in this move for it. So this is just a very sweet movie. You root for these characters like crazy. Uh, just refreshing i would say girl picture is refreshing i hope it contends on an international and an oscars level at the end of the day this is some really inspired filmmaking and uh, you know you don't get you don't get sex odysseys from the female perspective yeah. going back so that's a that's a major issue but it it plays universally like i watch this and you know i can relate to it in a million different ways so you know Very just cool. good on them girl picture worked yeah, one of the highest grades you uh, you gave any movie that you watched. So I'm very, very elated to hear that. Uh, let's recap a little bit here at the end. You watched 30 mu- movies. Obviously, you did not get to everything you wanted to see. Can you just comment on some things that you missed or that you wish you took in? Yeah, Descendant, I couldn't uh, stay with. I bought a ticket for it. I just, I had life get in the way. That's going to be on Netflix, though. The Obama's company. Mm-hmm. Uh, bought it, so I think that's going to be an important documentary to to check out. Framing Agnes won the next award for documentaries, and I and Matt Negley and company really praised the hell out of Framing Agnes, so I'm um, I'm eager to check that one out as well. Jihad Re- Rehab, which is a hell of a title about you know reforming extremists yeah. who literally go to a rehab, and I really wanted to see, and it just it was. Like a lot of these movies, they're on a schedule. So if you can't fit them in, or if you can't, if you can't, uh, they're, just, they're only available for a certain amount of time in many cases. So those three plus the territory, and here I am telling myself that the world cinematic documentary winner, the territory about saving the rainforest, that's just some, a movie I'm hopefully going to be able to catch later on. So shame on me if for whatever reason these other documentary festivals aren't virtual in the future and i can't watch these at home but i'm hoping to catch all four of those documentaries at home i'm sure you'll get to them knowing your documentary feature watching ability so i I did kind of back off the documentaries a little bit Uh, i i wanted to see a horror film called hatching which is about this teenage girl who's laying this egg and out pops a monster that terrorizes the family and it's this very keeps making the same movie over and over again i'll tell you so that looked cool, and I I didn't get the chance to see it. Emily the Criminal, which is Aubrey Plaza becoming a cat burglar to pay off student debt. Everybody was raving about Emily the hmm. Criminal. And then I just did not want to see Emma Thompson naked, and I didn't. I, How dare you? No, look at. <laughs> How dare no, you? But she's in every one of my Fifi movies that I watch. Uh, you know, the it was a respect pieces. thing, not a. Not I don't. A, you're not wanna, making. It was out right. of respect. Yeah. Right. So good luck to you, Leo right. Grand. Everybody I was going to say was, Emma Thompson naked looks a lot better than you or I naked right now, buddy. <laughs> correct. Correct. But I, out of respect, I didn't want to see right. Emma Thompson okay. naked. I get that. That is my prudish failure because everybody, that's like you. You don't want to see you know your 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 sister naked type thing. <laughs> I don't have a sister, so I thank right. you for going that yeah. route. You could have went many other routes. I considered it. <laughs> I appreciate you for doing that. So good luck to you, Leo Grand, 
the film of the festival for many people. And Am I Okay, the film of the festival for many people with Dakota Johnson, who was the star of the festival with this and Cha-Cha Real Smooth. Tig Notaro directed this. And I just, it was one of those where I got an email storm in the middle of watching it and I mm. couldn't get back to it. And then the next thing I know, my five hours are done and I can't, you know, uh, so I, I missed Am I Okay. So that was a bummer. And uh, the descendant in Am I Okay, I was slated to watch him, and I just I couldn't get back to him. So those two, plus I want to see the uh, Kamal Bell docuseries on Showtime, but that's coming to Showtime like in a couple of weeks. Uh, we've got to talk about Cosby and the yeah, Kanye series. Kanye series on Netflix, Genius. I, I think that's that got rave reviews as well, but that's coming to Netflix, I think, pretty soon. So I kind of held off on the episodic documentaries as well. All right, uh, you hit a lot in this episode. Let's talk about, let's just do a quick rundown. Your rankings, one more time, of the movies you took in, start wherever you want. I don't know if you want to do all 30, all 27, you want, you want to just hit the uh, the top 10, however you want to handle it. What are your rankings here for the uh, Sundance 2022? I'll talk about the top 15. Something in the Dirt, okay. that was my 15. That was just cool sci-fi buddy movie, Second Chance that was the uh, Ramin Barani, inventor of the bulletproof vest movie that was, I don't know, polarizing and, and divisive if there mm-hmm. ever was a movie. But I, it kind of worked as a doc, and we'll see if it works uh, in, in, the, in the eyes of hit- history, I'd say. The Exiles, which is just undeniably well-made. Uh, Christine Choi is just, <laughs> just a remarkable person, and the Tiananmen Square uh, history is something that people should, you know, dive into it's it's that important so the exiles my 13 nanny was my 12 uh just high level filmmaking and uh, a plot that really worked and it induces a lot of anxiety so there's like some you know it rattles you i would say especially if you're a babysitter or if you take care of kids and you know there's some trigger warnings in that regard so that that's a that's a tough sit but it's rewarding as a as a as a viewer nanny and i'm glad it won the award worth uh, noting that the the last 11 here your top 11 are all either high b's or b pluses and high b pluses right next to a minuses yes. so that's a good sign so i'm against the grain with watcher maker make a monroe I, I like that much more than everybody else uh my 10 is called jane this was phyllis naggy uh, about the janes with elizabeth banks and sigourney weaver that really worked it might work on the academy too i'm going to keep my eyes open for call jane 892 same deal with the it could be an oscar player perhaps uh, with john boyeka's uh, performance there fresh i'm tempted to rate this higher i'm tempted to rate this lower <laughs> i just i did it i got through fresh <laughs> that's not because like i can't handle uh movies with these themes in it i'm i'm you know foam finger in the air on these themes i just can't handle yucky movies and this was right. disgusting right in terms of horror movies go but it, uh, I, again i'll say it it held back once you thought it was going to get too gross it, it's not torture porn in any way shape or form so it's a thriller it's a hard hardcore thriller with horrific horrific moments to it uh the princess weird transition to the princess diana documentary <laughs> But that was really good. I didn't expect it to be as good as it was. Uh, Resurrection into my B pluses here with uh, Rebecca Hall. Twisted thriller. I can't believe they pulled off this story, but they did. Living's my number five. Bill Nye. Fifi movie for me. I don't care. I like it. <laughs> Fight me. Uh, but remake of Akiru Kurosawa. No, just really well-made film. Uh, Lucy and Desi. Again, I'm against the grain with the critics on this one. I don't know why. 
but this was a crowd pleaser, going to be coming on uh, Amazon Prime, Lucille Ball, Desi Arnaz story, Girl Picture, somehow, you know, a movie about sex that is somehow the most wholesome movie of the festival. <laughs> I mean, really. And you're number this three is, overall. Number three overall, Girl Picture. I hope, I, I really do hope this is a contender in international feature at the very least next year. Uh, Navalny, I hope it's a contender in Best Documentary. I hope the history and, and the and the, the 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 truth of the documentary is there because they delivered the goods as a piece of entertainment. That's for damn sure. Navalny was one of the better documentary experiences in a while. And then Cha Cha Real Smooth, maybe not quite Coda in terms of Oscar potential, but in terms of being that crowd pleaser from the festival that makes you laugh a hundred times. That's awkward. It is some awkward comedy, which I think you like more than me which i was squirming a little bit at the awkward comedy but cha-cha real smooth that just works as a movie folks i mean this this guy can make movies cooper rafe so congratulations uh to all those and i gotta see you know some of these others yet still so there's a lot that sundance seemed to offer this year so kudos on them they did put out a better festival uh than last year which caused me to drink so much more than I drank this year. So thank you, Sundance. Well, there you go. If, if ever there were a recommendation and a tagline that Sundance should run a with. backhanded Sundance, compliment. <laughs> Sundance 2022. <laughs> it didn't make me drink as much as last year. <laughs> great. Now, kudos to you, Mike. Kudos to these filmmakers. Kudos to Sundance in general. But great job by you in recapping all of these. And honestly, making them sound probably more intriguing than a couple of them have any right to sound, if we're being 100% honest. But uh, you definitely laid it out there as, as far as making people want want to i think see these movies or at least choose for themselves which is really what the point of this episode was so uh great job by you and your movie watching endurance i could never and will never be up to the snuff to do this on my own uh in this way so uh you're doing god's work out here sir it is wise to give my words of wisdom now and maybe i'm speaking to only one person on the other side of this microphone uh with this uh you know high-handed uh I've made my choices. (laughs) (laughs) But it's wise to investigate movies sometimes. And you do that. You still do that. I investigate. But I see, this is why we work, though. Like, I think I I investigate the movies you have no... No desire to ever investigate. Keep telling yourself this, but you can investigate the art films too. Like we don't have to like. But I can't. I can't do it. I I can't. I I can do a little bit, and I do do a little. Like I found Diane, and that was one of my favorite movies of the year. You did. You did. When it's when it's surprising, fine for me. I'm all for it. But when it's, I couldn't do the the sleep though. Having to watch a couple D level movies and C minus movies to find a B movie. I'll go to the East New York Documentary Film Festival. You'll go to the West. New York Documentary <laughs> Film Festival, and we'll talk about what we both liked. That's next. Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I, I feel like I feel like this is you trying to employ me to take in more art films, and all I'm going to do is come back and demand that we do a series based on and around all Michael Bay films for Andy. Michael Bay films, just as a <laughs> just a strong uh, zig when everybody else is zagging. Right, oh, right. Oh we can God. push our own films to the Oscars relevancy in this show, uh, guys. <laughs> Mike, you gave your words of wisdom. Uh, Dear listener, we want to hear from you. Did you go to Sundance? Did you watch any of these? If so, what were you highest on? What are you more low on? Did we get anything wrong? Do you disagree with also Mike in his assessment of any of these? You can leave us all of those as well as any other thoughts, comments, questions, or concerns you have about anything we do here in the MMO Empire on our social medias. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at MM and Oscar on Twitter. Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available wherever you do hear podcasts. And if you're listening to us on Spotify, 
or on the Apple Podcast app if you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review. If you appreciate what we do here, we would appreciate that very much from you. Michael, you gave your words of wisdom. You have talked a lot in this episode. Uh, why don't you tell the good people what's coming next, and let's get out of here. BAFTA. Oscar. <laughs> Perfect. Nominations. Perfect. There you go. <laughs> Said beautifully. Quite articulated like a prince, I would say. Guys, when reality BAFTA. sucks. <laughs> Oscar. Oh, you, I'm done. You can, come, you can come recap the festivals with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round. Without the stuffiness, we will see you all very soon. See ya. See ya.